All right, I trust that you brought your own copy of God's Word with you today. We'll be in Daniel chapter 12. We'll close out this particular series. The theme has been that we are secure in God's sovereign hands. And we will see today at the end of the book of Daniel that those who are believers have nothing to worry, but we have all to hope and anticipate as God will bring eternal blessings to us. So Daniel chapter 12, uh, Daniel's closing vision for today. All right, so chapter 12 begins uh, in verse 1 with this phrase, and at that time, referencing what we talked about in chapter 11 is the great tribulation period. So chapter 12 has uh, these four points that we'll look at today. A, uh, a great time of persecution of Israel, a uh, resurrection for Israel, a final judgment or purification of the nation, and then a final eternal blessedness of Israel. Uh, many years ago, a pastor preached a message it was entitled, What Shall the Righteous Do? Well, he answered that question in his own sermon with, well, live righteously, of course. Uh, so in wicked times, and by the way, do you think we are living in wicked times in our own nation? What do we do? Uh, it seems like truth is slain in the streets. And if you try to bring up truth to people, they like to dismiss it uh, and say that's not valid. Of course, the truth is truth no matter what opinion is, right? But it seems like God is being set aside. So what do we do as God's people in this time? Well, we're going to find out, like Daniel, just continue to live a righteous life. Live righteously. And uh, keep on going. And so we just will be going on being righteous, of course. And so back in chapter 11, uh, verse 32, uh, when all of the trouble was introduced in the vision, um, it says this, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt, uh, but the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So the world around us may not know God, but we can still trust Him and go to work for Him. We can still do our exploits, and we can still bring Him honor and glory. So let's look today here, first of all, at the uh, great persecution of Israel. And so... Let's read verse 1, and we'll make a couple of observations. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince who standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to the same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So as you come to the book of Daniel, there's uh, several different ways that you actually interpret the book of Daniel. Uh, we've shared this concept with you before. Uh, some people say, well, it was written uh, hundreds of years after historical events happened. And so it, it's, it's a forgery, it's a fake. And so these prophecies that Daniel mentions, they were either already happened or they're just going to be fairy tales for the future that's one way that you can look at it all right that's the liberal uh, viewpoint that's out there uh, but even within christianity there are a couple of different ways let's just narrow it down to evangelical christianity that you look at this you say well um the church has replaced israel and so when you read verse one you read it this way the church is going to go through a great time of tribulation. So that's one way. It's called replacement theology, where the church replaces Israel, inherits all of Israel's blessings, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Israel no longer apply because the church has replaced it. So therefore, you should not expect any Old Testament prophecies to come true. So that's called replacement theology. The other way that you look at, at verse 1 is the way that it's written, the literal, historical, grammatical interpretation. And so here's a couple of things that let us know that this is Israel that goes through a time of great trouble. 
Notice the phrases here. The children of what? Thy people. Well, who's Daniel's people? It's the Jews, all right? Now, that's an unusual phrase for us, but if you ever spent time in the South, you know that your family or your kin are called your people, all right? So, yeah, we got together with our people for Thanksgiving, all right? And so here, God's people in verse 1 is not the church, it's the Jews, all right? Now, also notice this. How else can we just move beyond that and make that even more specific? Uh, the next phrase, such as never was since there was a, a nation, okay? So the nation of Israel, so a particular people and an ethnic group. So we have uh, a couple of things to look at here under uh, this point of a great persecution of Israel. First of all, let's look at the great persecution. Um, now, if you just go over to Matthew chapter 24 with me for just a moment, put your bullets in here in, in Daniel chapter 12, uh, we need to see that the Lord himself views this uh, as a future event that had not happened historically. Uh, because I was sharing with you that one of the ways that you could view this is it has already been historically fulfilled. But in Matthew chapter 24 we'll see that Jesus takes this as yet a future event. Matthew chapter 24, uh, let's go down to verse 21, and I'll eventually get there. All right, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, no, nor ever shall be. All right? Now, how do we know that Jesus is referencing the book of Daniel and the great tribulation? We'll jump back up to verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. And then he warns them, run. All right? And that is going to be a time of great tribulation for Israel. Israel has gone through great tribulations down through the millennia. When I visited, uh, I think it was in 2008, um, there was a particular t-shirt that I wanted to buy. I should have bought it, but it listed on the left-hand side all of the nations through the millennia that had attacked Israel. And then on the right-hand column, it says they lost or they're no longer a nation, all right? And so every nation that attacked them on the left-hand side, the outcome of that nation on the right-hand side, and the bottom, uh, the phrase was, they always lose, so let's feast, all right? So they were having a, a good spirit about that, but nonetheless, that does not diminish the persecution that the Jewish people have always faced. Um, even in our own country, there was... A really a strong anti-Semitic viewpoint. Um, it was not under, until President Truman that the United States began to, to recognize the Jewish people, and then in 1948, when Israel started becoming a nation and so forth after the Second World War, that we finally took their side in the United Nations. And perhaps that's why God has blessed us post-World War II as a nation, because we have stood with Israel. But in society today, have, do you hear that phrase, anti-Semitism? Raise your hand if you hear that phrase, all right? That just means that you're prejudiced against Jewish people just because they're Jewish. Uh, we have members in Congress that are that way. But in society, so many people just hate the Jews, all right? So there's, there's no place in the church of Jesus Christ for hating his people. That actually, if that's true of you, that you just dislike Jewish people just because they're Jewish, then you need to repent of that sin. You need to get that right because you're going to miss out on God's blessing. Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So your hatred of Israel 
will bring God's curse upon you. Now, does that mean that Israel as a nation politically always does things correctly? Well, no, all right? But generally speaking, we can't have a hatred in our heart for Jewish people. We, we might disagree with them politically, but we can't have a hatred in our heart where we want to go around and do ethnic cleansing. Now, we can think of the Holocaust. Six million Jews. You realize there are some people that deny that ever happened? I just don't know how they can arrive at that. That was a time of great tribulation upon Israel. But if you're looking at the words of Jesus, he says, when Daniel's prophecy becomes a reality and you see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple, you know that a time of trouble for Israel is going to come that has never been. So this is why I say the Holocaust is not as bad as it's going to be for Israel. And that's a sad thing because I just shared with you not to be anti-Semitic in your heart. Well, the world hates Jews and the devil stirs them up and they will try to cleanse them off of the face of the earth like Nasser, the Egyptian president, did in the 1960s. He said, well, wipe Israel off the face of the earth and drive them into sea. Well, he died shortly after that. So here, Jesus says, this is a future event. When you see what's going to happen in Daniel's prophecy, when that stands. By the way, what is that? All right. Well, the Jewish, have, the Jewish people have the Ten Commandments. Uh, you shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any graven image. And so when the Jewish people see a graven image standing up in their temple, being worshipped as God, it's going to click with them. Something's not right. And then they're going to, to be driven into Scripture and they'll run as this time of trouble is put upon them. Um, listen to uh, the time of trouble that has happened to Israel. This is the book of Zechariah, chapter um, 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil, that's the spoil of Israel, shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses uh, rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. So what's going to happen in that final great battle that we call Armageddon, it's actually not isolated just in the Megiddo Valley or the Jezreel Valley. It extends throughout the whole nation. And they reduce Israel down to just Jerusalem, down to a, a quarter of the city where the people are hiding and, and fearing for their lives. Now, some understood and they fled, so they're not in the city. They fled when they saw what had taken place. But those that didn't flee, it's a time of great persecution and trouble for the whole nation, but specifically for those in the city. So do we believe what Jesus is saying or do we not? Is there going to be a great persecution for Israel? Yes, there is. So Jesus did not look at Daniel and say, well, that was a historical forgery. Nor did Jesus look at the book of Daniel and say, my church is going to replace my nation. No, because he has a kingdom that he's going to come. And so let's look at the great deliverance then. That's the next subpoint here. Um, so go back to Daniel chapter 12. And look with me at the end of verse 1. Uh, it says here, um, And at that time, that's during the great tribulation, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. So let me continue reading about that deliverance from the book of Zechariah chapter 14. Now, beginning at verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. How many of you have ever been to Israel and you stood on the Mount of Olives? All right. Um, maybe we should take a trip as a church. Would that be fun? I think so. It would be spiritually beneficial for us. Because when I read the Bible uh, and come to those passages of places I've been in Israel, I, I no longer read it monochromatic. I read it in stereo color. Right, because I've been there. I, I, I've seen it with my own eyes. So 
you all work that out. All right? If you want to go, we'll put something together. But nonetheless, Jesus is going to uh, set his feet down on the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of the city of Jerusalem, Mount Scopus, overlooking the, the beautiful view of Jerusalem. That's usually where you see the city photographed from. And something, here's what's going to happen to the mountain. And it says, And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall remove to the north, and half of it towards the south. So there will be a valley running east and west as the mountain splits in half and moves north and south. And you shall flee into the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azale. Yea, you shall flee as you fled uh, from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he is going to have an earthly touchdown with his feet. He's going to have a millennial kingdom. He will deliver his people miraculously. Those that are trapped inside the city, when he sets down, he rips the mountains and creates a way of escape for them, and he delivers them as he fights against the nations. And of course, if you want to read that great battle, you go to Revelation 19, and you see that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which we sing about at this time of year in Handel's Messiah. Now, what is the determining factor for the Jewish people if they're delivered? All right, because some of them are not. So let's look here at the end of verse 1. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. All right, let's go over to Exodus chapter 32, and we've got to trace this phrase down for just a few minutes. Um, what is this book that is being referenced? So, uh, Exodus is your second book in your Bible, chapter 32. We'll see Moses in prayer for the people of Israel and his request to God uh, concerning himself. Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 through 33. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So their name is in God's book. Whoever is written in his book, they're delivered. But God says they can be blotted out through sin. But Moses is saying in prayer, God, if you won't forgive their sin, then please remove me from your book of life. That's strong intercessory prayer. Do you pray for the rebellious that way? Or do you usually pray, Lord, smite them! Get them right with you! Do something hard! Give them a flat tire! You know? And uh, you're praying for that rebel that God's going to break them, right? Well, do we pray for the rebellious that God would forgive them? And if God won't, then please remove me from your book of eternal life. Wow. Moses knew how to pray for the people of Israel. Let's go over to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 28. Let them be blotted out of thy book of the living and not be written with the righteous. All right? So here is a different kind of prayer. It's called an imprecatory prayer where you're praying against the enemies of God. And the psalmist says, Lord, blot them out of your book of life. Scratch their name out. Don't let them be found in your book of life anymore. All right, now one other one. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. Now 
Now, for those of you who have heard a lot of preaching on chapter 20, uh, specifically in the context of the millennium being a thousand years, you've been taught correctly, but I just want to point out uh, the emphasis here in Revelation chapter 20. And um, look with me at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped what? The beast, neither his image, neither had they received their mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So in the context, this are those daring people, those righteous people during the Great Tribulation who refused to worship the Antichrist in his image. Are you with me? Okay. So that's the context that you have in chapter 20. But now um, go down with me uh, to verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now this is a general judgment of all unsaved, unrighteous people throughout eternity. It includes unrighteous Israel and unrighteous Gentiles. Now go back with me to the beginning of the chapter here, okay, and look at the end of verse 4. They lived and reigned with Christ for what? A thousand years, okay? Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the what? First resurrection. We're going to come to that in just a minute in Daniel 12. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him what? A thousand years, okay? Um, so we, we keep reading, all right? And it says that the dead would not live again until the thousand years were accomplished. So that's in Revelation chapter 20. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 12. And let's figure this out. The determining factor is this. Are you found written in God's book of life? Now it seems that God is generous. And everyone starts out written in his book of life. Because Christ died, according to Romans chapter 5, for the sins of all of mankind. Then how do you get your name blotted out of the book of life? Well, it's already been mentioned. Through sin, and the greatest sin is that of unbelief. So I cannot say dogmatically when you're blotted out of God's book of life. But we know that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So during your life, you must make a decision for Christ. If you don't, then that is the ultimate sin, and you'll be blotted out of God's book of life, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. So I urge you, I plead with you today, put your faith in Christ. Turn away from whatever you've been turn, trusting in and turn to Christ. Change your mind. Believe what God says. Embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the determining factor for all of eternity. So now let's jump down to verses 2 through 4 and let's discuss uh, the second point here, so you can flip the screen here. And so, the resurrection for Israel. Oh, you're ahead of me. Okay. Verses 2 through 4. And it says, uh, this is the phrase that I want us to catch. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to everlasting shame and contempt. All right. So, here's what I'm going to try to show you. Uh, from Daniel 12 and Revelation 20, Blessed is he in Revelation chapter 20 that takes part in the what? 
first resurrection. Now, <clears throat> not first in time sequence. But first as in quality, type, or kind. If you have that kind of resurrection, then over your life, the second death has no power. So the first resurrection that's mentioned in Revelation 20 is the kind of resurrection that is mentioned here in Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. Hey, I claim Titus chapter 1 verse 2 as my life verse. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Verse 2, and he has counted me and made me faithful minister of the word of God. You see, this was the struggle of my heart as a teenager and young adult. Uh, at the age of 20, I finally settled my salvation and uh, really believe at age of 20 is when I repented and put my trust in Christ. But I struggled with, well, am I secure in Christ? And this was the verse in Titus that God gave me, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie. Then I realized, you know, it's not based upon my religious performance. It's based upon the character and the nature of God. He's true and he doesn't lie. So folks, when he says that there is a resurrection and some go to everlasting life, then I've got good news for you. Heaven is true, it's real, and it's for all of eternity. Should have been Baptocostal on that, okay? You should have said, amen, all right? Look, uh, those who believe in Jesus, we have everlasting life. It does not end. It's everlasting, folks. And this is why we're secure in God's hands, because there's everlasting life. And so we're not reading time into this or sequence, all right? That would be unwise to do because that's revealed in the New Testament. Uh, let's go over to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, and so I'll explain why it's not time or sequence. 1 Corinthians 15. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 is the great chapter on the resurrection. Paul had been preaching the Corinthians, and he says, if there is no resurrection, then we of all men are most miserable. Uh, our life would be vain, all right? So when Easter rolls around in a few months, um, people think, that's just silly to believe in the resurrection, that you're actually going to rise again after death, because once you die, well, that's, you just dissolve into the dust of the ground, and that's it. No, that's not what God says, all right? And he showed us that that's not what is in mind because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23, it says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall put down all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put down all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Listen, we go into the grave. We don't know when that's going to be. I hope the Lord gives you a long and prosperous life. I hope I have that too. But we just don't know what a day brings forth. But as a believer, if we sleep and we're in the dust of the earth, we'll be awakened. We'll have a resurrection to everlasting life, because, number one, Jesus was the first. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15, 23 says. He's the first fruits. First fruits is a Jewish terminology that the Jewish people, when they saw their grain or their fruit trees producing fruit, they would take it into the temple and present it to God first in anticipation that the rest of the harvest would follow. So by faith, they gave God the first fruits, and then they waited for God to bring in the harvest. 
So Christ is the first one that is presented to the Father as being alive out of the grave, out of the dust of the earth, waiting for the rest of the harvest, you and me, believing Israel, to be pulled out of the graves. Now, specifically, this is a resurrection, but for Israel, for their people. And so there is a resurrection for Israel. They shall awake. There are other passages, such as Ezekiel 37. You remember that story? Uh, Ezekiel the prophet sees all the dry bones. They're laying in the valley. And I mean, it's like a really scary dream if you look at it, right? You read it. All of a sudden, these bones, they, they begin to come out of the ground and out of the grave, and then these skeletons get assembled. You know, there's skeletons laying there. Well, then all of a sudden, tendons start attaching all the, the, the bones together, and the flesh starts to cover them up, and then there's these, all these dead bodies laying in this valley that Ezekiel sees. And so, what's the difference? Whether they're bones or dead flesh, they haven't rotted yet, right? But they're not alive. But then something wonderful happens. God says, shall these dry bones, these dead bones, shall they live again? And Ezekiel says, well, you know that answer, God. And then God breathed into all those dead people the breath of life, and they were standing and breathing and living again. Listen, folks. You might dissolve into the powder of the earth. You might be incinerated in some kind of an accident. But God can still pull you all back together. Whether you dissolved in the ocean water, or you burned in a fire, or some other horrid way. I mean, dying's dying right? But God's going to bring you out of the grave if you trust in the Lord Jesus. And so there is a resurrection. We shall awake. Um, and so there is a resurrection of everlasting life. And so specifically in Revelation 20 verses 4 and 5, it's not first in time or in sequence, but in kind or type. It's that the kind of resurrection that you will have, because there's another kind of resurrection that's mentioned here. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, let's go and look at that. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, And many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to what? Shame and contempt. Oh, why didn't I believe? Father Abraham, please send Lazarus and... Then he might dip his finger in a cup of water and come down here and put it on my tongue and cool me for I'm in torments in this place. No can do. Between us and you is a great gulf fix that no one can pass back and forth. Regret, shame, contempt. Folks, just as heaven is real, hell is real. Now, you know me, I'm not a Bible pounder and screamer and yeller. You know, I don't slam my Bible and preach hellfire and brimstone every Sunday at you because I just don't believe that's the way Jesus preached. I don't think that's the proper demeanor for preaching. But that doesn't change the fact that hell is real, folks. It's a real place. It's not just the state of mind. It's not just bad karma. It's not bad events that happen to you. Okay? Eternal hell is described in the Bible as Gehenna, a lake of fire. Jesus described it as a fire that is never quenched, where a worm can go and never be consumed. And the man in Luke 16, he died physically, but he woke up spiritually in hell. And he was in torments in this place. Folks, Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross so that you don't have to go there. Will you believe on the Lord Jesus today as your Lord and Savior? You see, Jesus did not create hell for people. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, he created it for the devil and his angels. He wants you to be in the book of life by putting your faith and trust in him 
The Bible tells us the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not some sadistic, vengeful, hateful God that looks at a human being and says, Go to hell! And then laugh at us. It's not God at all. He sent his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not but have everlasting Folks, Daniel, in essence, is saying it's heaven or hell. Now, the second point on here is the kind of teaching. Look at verses 3 and 4. And they that be wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. So the kinds of teaching, there's wise teaching, and then there's timely teaching. Or maybe we could say it this way, timely learning. But have you ever heard of the International Star Registry? It's usually advertised on the radio about this time of year. And for $49.95, you can name a star after your favorite loved one. And they'll put it out there somewhere in the galaxy and give you a, a coordinate. And so you can get your telescope and look out there and say, Oh, look, I named that star for my child. All right. Well, those stars have been there for thousands of years. And God uses them as a point of reference. And says, if you point people to righteousness and you teach that, well... You're going to shine like a star. Who knows? Maybe God has his own international star registry for those that are wise in teaching the truth of God's righteousness. Hey, have you taken time to share with somebody the gospel message of Jesus? To turn a sinner from the, the air of his way? To turn the unrighteous from death? Listen, you can be wise now, that is what God says. Do you want to be judged as wise in God's sight? I hope so. Now, verse 4, God commands Daniel to shut up the words and seal the book. So then how did we get it? Okay, well, that's, he's not saying don't share the inspired record, but rather the understanding because here's what's going to happen. In a timely manner, even to the time of the end, during that great tribulation, the Jewish people specifically will be looking for the knowledge and the truth. And they're going to be running to and fro to try to find it. Now look, I've heard it preached this way. We live in the age of information and we've got Google now. Right? I don't think God intended that Google is the interpretation of this passage. All right. I don't think that's the way that's supposed to be. All right. Whatever search engine you use, if it's Bing or Yahoo or, you know, whatever. No, that's not the age of information that's intended here. It's the information contained in Daniel's prophecy. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, when you see understand it's going to click you know that's the hard thing about life's lessons is your teachers your employers even your parents can tell you something and it just goes and later in life it's like bah! oh yeah i heard about that once why didn't i listen right and so all of a sudden that knowledge becomes useful because of the time in your life well, that's exactly what's happening here. The Jewish people have heard the gospel message. Their Messiah has been presented to them whoosh, over their heads. But during that time of great tribulation, I get it. I understand. That's what it means. All right. So in a timely manner, they'll understand the teachings of Daniel. They're going to be searching for answers to the devastation that's happening to them as a nation. They'll discover the increased knowledge through Daniel's preserved book. All right. 
All right, let's move on to 5 and 11 quickly. Um, so the big idea here, once again, is that you're secure in a God's sovereign hands, or a sovereign God's hands. And we don't need to be afraid of this. But here's our third point. The final purification of Israel, verses 5 and 11. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, and there stood two others, two angels, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to uh, the man clothed in linen, so a third angel, going back to chapter 10, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, uh, who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swore by him who liveth forever, that that shall be for a time, times, and half. And when she accomplished the breaking up of the power of thy holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. And then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for thy words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Verse 10 is crucial. Many shall be purified and made white and tested, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So the final purification for Israel. The wicked are going to do wickedly, but the righteous will understand that persecution upon Israel is going to purify them. You know, David's view of affliction and adversity was this. David said, it has been good that I have been afflicted. Before I was afflicted, my heart went astray. Now, I've shared with you uh, this setting and story before, but there was a time in life in ministry where there was great trouble in the ministry. And uh, I felt like that that was affliction. And I looked at my life and did some evaluation, some introspection. And I said, you know what? God, this trouble is actually a good thing for me because it's driving me back to you in dependence. So when you get into that time of trouble in your life, maybe it's never been this bad in your life. What should you do? Give up on God? Or say, God, purify my heart during this time of affliction, adversity. Drive me back to you. Purify me, Lord. I remember one of the saddest events that happened in my previous ministry was a two-year-old boy died. Rare blood disease. And they didn't know that he had it, and just the common cold triggered that autoimmune response. And uh, as that boy was suffering and dying in the hospital, they did the blood test on the newborn baby. And the newborn baby had the same infection that his two-year-old brother had. And so he had a bone marrow transplant as a baby, and he's doing just fine. But the grandparents, in tears, came and said, Pastor, it's because of this in my life, or it's because of that in my life. I said, no, it's not because of that. You're not at fault for your grandson dying. But here's what you can do with the pain and the grief that you're experiencing. The introspection is okay. It's good. So get those things right that you know in your conscience need to be made right. But just know that you didn't cause his death because of your sin. Why do we know that? Well, because the Bible says that the son does not suffer the punishment of the sins of the father, nor the father the sins of the son. Every soul that sins shall die. So if you're going through adversity and persecution, don't faint. Learn from it. Be wise. Let God purify your heart. Now there's a parallel verse to this uh, in the book of Revelation. So let's go back to uh, Revelation once again, and I want to show you that. Let's go to Revelation chapter 20. Verses 10 through 12. Let's see, may I have the wrong reference there? 
Okay, so pardon me, I wrote down the wrong reference. But in Revelation, I think it's chapter 20 or 19, uh, the Lord said, but the wicked will still be wicked, but the righteous shall act righteously. So folks, our country might go through a time of great adversity. We have in the past. Maybe it's a time of purification for our country by a sovereign God trying to drive us back to him. What do you do? Do you quit and give up on God and go act wickedly? No. Let the wicked act wickedly. But you just keep on doing right. Just keep serving the Lord. Let the Lord purify your heart. Now, the length of purifying is found in verse 7, uh, verses 5 through 7. Let's go back to Daniel, and I'll try to wrap this up pretty quickly. So, one angel was asking the other, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And he says in verse 7, a time, times, and a half. We saw that in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we see that in other places, uh, book of Revelation, um, three and a half years. So the great tribulation lasts, that really intense part of it lasts for seven years, but specifically for three years, or three and a half years. So time, times, and half a time. And so that's 1,260 days. And then we've got some information we're not exactly sure what we uh, do with this, but this leads us to our um, final point, point number four up on the screen here, is the final blessedness of Israel. So Daniel chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh unto the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days, or thirteen hundred and thirty-five days. So we have three numbers here. We have 1260 days back in verse 7. Uh, we have 1,290 days in verse 11, and we have 1,335 days in verse 12. Let me tell you, no one has a good answer. But as your pastor, I'll take a guess. You want to guess with me? All right. We know the length of time for the tribulation is about three and a half years, but what about these extra days? All right. So what about the extra 30 days? In verse 11, it went from 1260 to 1290. Um, perhaps that refers back to chapter 11. Those that do great exploits for their God, they know God, like the Maccabee brothers. They went out and fought for God and they purified the temple. Maybe this extra 30 days is for a purification of the temple after that abomination is set up in it. We don't know. Your guess might be just as good as mine. Now, here's the other thing, 1,335 days. That's another 45 days. Perhaps this is Matthew 25, where the Lord judges the nations that had gathered together against Israel. And he divides them out as the sheep and the goats um, and set up his millennial kingdom. But whatever the conclusion, or whatever the length of days, we know the conclusion. Verse 12. Blessed is he. Trusting in God will never disappoint you. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Folks, you'll never be disappointed. You'll never be put to shame because you believe in Jesus Christ. You're not going to regret it. Blessed is he. This is what God says. So those Jewish people, they are going to have their millennial kingdom. Um, and so God brings in, in Matthew chapter 25, um, the Gentile nations. He judges them. He separates them uh, as the sheep and the goats. And so the righteous believing Gentiles will go into the millennial kingdom along with the righteous believing Jews. Uh, who are resurrected here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 13. Okay, But go thy way till the end, for thou shalt rest, and then what? Stand in thy lot at the end of thy days. 
Listen, you might go to sleep and be in the grave. I mean, think of Stephen, the first martyr. Been in the grave for 2,000 years. But one day, he's going to be on his feet again. He's going to stand in his lot. That's the place that God has appointed for him to be. Hey, listen, your God-appointed place to be as a believer is to rule and reign with him for a thousand years in his millennial kingdom. The church will be resurrected in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 18. The tribulation saints are resurrected in Revelation chapter 7, verse 14. So Christ the first fruits, and then those in order that are Christ's. So there's different times of resurrection, but only two kinds, folks. Unto life or unto everlasting shame and contempt. Today, if you search your own heart, where are you going to spend eternity? Jesus loves you and wants you to spend eternity with him. Will you today turn away from whatever you think is good enough? Say, God, I've sinned. You're right, you're holy, you're just. So I will turn away from my own righteousness and turn to the righteousness that you have provided in Jesus. And I will embrace Jesus, his work on the cross for me, his resurrection to save me, because a dead Savior can't save you. But he's a living Savior because he came out of the grave. And if you call upon his name, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just know that we are secure in a sovereign God's hands. He has predetermined the end of time. If you believe in Him, even though you might die, you'll stand again on your own feet because He will raise you from out of the grave. If You have that first kind of resurrection to everlasting life. You have everlasting life by believing, trusting in Jesus Christ. You say, yes, pastor, I would like to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today as my Savior. I would like to receive his gift of everlasting life. Would you indicate that just by lifting your hand and say, yes, pray for me. I would like to be saved today. I'd like to receive his gift of everlasting life. Yes, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? All right, I see that hand. So for those of you who raised your hand, it's very simple. It's A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. You cannot save yourself. It's B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the solution for your sin. Trust in what he did for you on the, Christ, on the cross. And then it's C, call on his name. So you actually have to ask here, folks. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 